Father God, thank you for this opportunity to worship you, to get to know you through your word, to look at the story of Noah from kind of a big angle, from far out. Would, I, would you still speak to us uh, in, in personal and individual ways? Uh, would, would you speak to our hearts, God? Would you stir us in the ways that you want us to be stirred? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what's the story of Noah and the flood supposed to teach us? Many of you know the story, whether it's from your childhood or maybe you heard about it, you read it at college. Uh, what is it all about? What is it supposed to teach us? Now, there are many different theories on what the story of Noah is supposed to teach us, but interestingly enough, I was kind of thinking about you know, children's books, and what do the children's books usually teach us about the story of Noah? If the kids downstairs were to read your standard kid's book on Noah, what would they get? So many of these children's books, they tell us that Noah and the flood was a fun, colorful story of a day at the zoo. <laughs> Now, if you don't believe this, I'm going to show you some of the photos of some of these books. So we have here, Two by Two by Barbara Reed. It's, it's actually very well done. I enjoyed reading it. I went up to the library and saw it, Westford Library, and it's illustrated using claymation. It's colorful. Uh, people are happy and smiling. And we see that in the second one, too, here. That's Noah's Ark by Lucy Cousins. Uh, Noah is smiling. I think maybe even the animals are smiling. They're all together. They're safe. Uh, forget about the rest of the world drowning, but they're okay. It's kind of interesting. If you look around and you keep looking, like Noah's ark and the flood has become a product. So here are four different products that you can go home and purchase tonight. All off Amazon. The top left, we have a bath toy or they're kind of like Legos, but a less cool version. On the top right, we have a wall print. So if you want the story of the, the flood on your, your baby's room, you can do that. We have a, a jigsaw puzzle in the bottom right. In the bottom left, we have a pewter coin bank, because Noah's Ark is a great place to store your cash. <laughs> so, is Noah's Ark a story of a fun day at the zoo. Now, as we approach the story of Noah and the flood, we all kind of have our thoughts on what it's about. Is it about a global flood? Is it about how all the continents were arranged? Is it, a, is it about why the dinosaurs aren't here? We all have our different thoughts. But I want us to take a step back and look at a different picture and from this picture, get a, get a glimpse of what really the main point, I think, I believe, that the Scripture teaches us from the story of Noah. Now, this is a different picture. It's a bit more graphic, but it's much more accurate. This is called The Dove Sent Forth from the Ark. It's a wood engraving, and it is by Gustave Dor. It's 1866. And here, this is a picture after the flood. as the ark comes to rest on dry Land. Notice all the bodies. There has been this great global, this, this disaster that has killed many hundreds of thousands of people. They don't include the bodies in the kids' stories, but this is a real part of Noah's Ark and the floods. And the two elements that I think this engraving really depict are God's judgment. We see God's judgment on 
the people that are dead. But then we also see God's grace here. because We see an ark. It's lit up a little bit, and there's a dove flying forth from the ark. It's a symbol of life, God's rescue. So this is really, I believe, the main point of uh, Noah's ark. I'm going to go back one. Noah's ark, kind of the, the, the main point is that it's a story of God's judgment and grace, and that's our story. And we're going to look at that kind of main theme, that big idea from a bunch of different angles. So kind of when you look at a diamond, someone gets engaged, and you look at their ring, and their sparkles from all these different angles, we're going to look at the point that Noah's Ark is a story of God's judgment and grace, and that's our story. We're going to look at this idea from a bunch of different angles as we go through the story of Noah. So the first point begins in the very first a very first verse that I had the worship team read, verse 5 of chapter 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Everyone is wicked. Now, wicked is not a a term that we hear too often used to describe people. Sometimes we, we hear it used to describe tuna, uh, but we don't use it, we don't hear it described really outside of just kind of a colloquialism in the kind of the New England area. I remember one of the first times I was introduced to the idea of wicked uh, was by my youth pastor at my home church, Mountain View Bible Fellowship. My senior pastor is actually here tonight from that church. You can say hi to him if you can figure out who he is. Uh, and we watched the movie Something Wicked This Way Comes. I don't know if any of you have seen that movie. It's like this terrifying Christian horror movie uh, to scare young men uh, from what you can imagine they need to be scared of. And it was just this idea, <laughs> getting at this idea that inside of us, there's this wickedness, there's this evilness, there's this, this weakness towards temptation. And if we look at the word wicked, it does mean simply morally wrong. But there's also this other aspect that sometimes in the Old Testament, it's translated as misery, disaster, or calamity. Wickedness is an internal disaster. It's an internal calamity. See, at, at the beginning, just like our video taught us, Adam and Eve committed the first disaster where they chose to trust themselves instead of trust God. And that d disaster that began on the inside in their hearts, I love that there was like this black stain forming on their hearts, that began to seep out into all of creation. All of creation was affected by that internal calamity. And so as God looks out, he says, wow, my, my, my creation has experienced the disaster of the human heart. My creation has gone from being something that's wonderful and good to being something that is experiencing misery. This is what wickedness is. It's a calamity of the heart. And just like everyone was wicked in Noah's day, Guess what? That hasn't changed. Every inclination of the human heart is still wicked today, in our culture, in this moment, and in this time. At our core, we're not good. I was listening to a podcast this week, and it was one of the high ups at Google. 
One of their core values, one of their core beliefs at Google is that everyone is basically good on the inside, and, and they kind of go off that theme in their work. And that works for them. Uh, they even have a slogan, don't be evil. But see, that's impossible because there's something broken on the inside, in the, on, the inside on our hearts. We can't be basically good because Adam and Eve broke everything for us. So the first truth, the first aspect of this, this main idea is that everyone is wicked. And because of that, God has to judge everyone. This is a, we're looking now at verses 6 and 7 where it talks about God regretting that he had made human beings on the earth. And he was deeply troubled. And so he says, I'm going to wipe everyone out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a new, clate, uh, new slate. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe everything clean. Now, the ESV uh, translates it a little bit differently. It says, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Now, evil doesn't take God by surprise. He knew what would happen, but that doesn't mean that evil doesn't sadden God's heart, that he isn't disappointed and realizing that there could be something that's so much better, and yet we humans, we decide to ruin it for ourselves. And so if there is this internal calamity, misery that's happening in the human heart, and it's seeping out into creation, and it's ruining everything, what's the solution? There are only two solutions. The first solution is a transplant of the heart. Then we need a new heart, a heart that's innocent and that doesn't begin with calamity. But the second option is total destruction. And that's really the option that we deserve. That's the option that Noah and everyone else around him deserves, is complete and utter destruction. And that's what the story of the flood really is. Now, God also promises us that just like he judged everyone in the day of Noah, one day Jesus will come back and will judge all of us in a similar way. Look at these words from Jesus. This is talking about the second return of Christ, the final return. Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 39 say, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. See, the scriptures tell us that one day God will judge the living and the dead, that Christ will return and judge everyone. He will raise everyone that was in the past, everyone that's present now, and those that will come after us, and he'll judge them, that a final judgment is coming Noah's Ark is a story of God's judgment, and that's our story too. But there's good news because Noah's Ark is also a story of God's grace. See, God gives grace to the undeserving. And this is a theme that sometimes we don't pick up when we, when we read the story of Noah's Ark. See, I believe Noah, Noah himself, that he was a wicked man. That he was not basically good at his core, but that God gives Noah grace, and that grace transforms Noah into a new man. Now, when you read children's books, 
you kind of hear this, this, this theme that God rescued Noah because Noah was good. So this is just a quote from the book Two by Two. It's not on the screen, but I'll just read it. Way back in the olden days, people turned to evil ways. They spoiled the world with greedy plots, dirty deeds, and nasty thoughts. God was mad and with a frown said, wash it clean, let them drown. There were some things God thought to save. He'd need the help of someone brave. Noah, you're both good and kind. I'll tell you what I have in mind. So the picture we get there is that God looked at all of creation. Everything was messed up except for this one person, Noah. He was good enough to merit God's pleasure, to merit God's kindness. But remember, we just read in chapter 6, verse 5, that all the hearts, all the thoughts of the human hearts were wicked. Everyone was wicked, and that includes Noah. Jesus is asked, uh, Jesus is called good in the New Testament, and he says, well, no one is good but God alone. See, Noah wasn't good. He was wicked, and he deserved to perish with everyone else. But God, in his grace, chooses Noah. Verse 8, chapter 6 says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God simply chose to save him. By his own grace. And then when we look at verse 9, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. That's really a summary of Noah's life. That because of his relationship with God, God counted him as righteous. God counted him as blameless. See, God took a sinful man. God took a broken man. By the end of his life, it completely transformed him by his grace. We should take encouragement from that. That means no matter how, how bad I am, no matter how bad you are, we are, God can take us and through the course of our life completely transform us. And he does it completely by his grace. Maybe some of you have heard uh, the name Charles Colson. Here's a picture of him. His name is uh, uh, I, I kind of heard of him growing up. I would hear him on the radio. I believe it was Chuck Wendall. Uh, maybe some of you have heard that name. He would preach, and I love listening to his voice. Now, he's from uh, the, he became famous in the late 60s and early 70s uh, because he served for President Richard Nixon. He served from 1969 to 1973, and he was known as Nixon's hatchet man. So he got things done. He was cold and hard, and he was involved in the Watergate scandal. In fact, he was uh, sentenced to prison for seven months for impeding justice, for obstructing justice. But right before he went to prison, a friend who was a Christian gave him a copy of the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And he read that book and became a believer became a Christian, began going to uh, a sm kind of a small group Bible study before he even went to prison. And of course, media thought, well, this was just a play to get our, you know, our good graces, but it wasn't. So he went to prison, he came out, and he was completely transformed by God's grace. He was a wicked man transformed to be like Jesus. He later went on to found uh, Prison Fellowship, which 
purpose is to reach inmates and the families of inmates and ex-inmates with the good news of Jesus and to just help them become rehabilitated. And if you look at the studies, they did a better job than uh, the government in bringing people out of the prison system. Uh, A personal note, I believe he served on the Gordon-Conwell board, uh, so the seminary that I went to school at to become a pastor. He served on the board for a long time. Jesus saved sinners. God saves sinners. He doesn't save the righteous. He saves people that see their need for him. Noah's Ark is a story of God's judgment and his grace, and that's our story. So what does grace do? What is grace all about? Well, grace does something pretty amazing. It produces lasting change in our lives, in our hearts. It takes hearts full of misery and brokenness and begins, begins to change them. See, God gives Noah instructions for building the ark before the flood. If we look at the story, we read it, uh, God comes and says, here are the plans for building this ark. It's so many cubits long and wide and tall. And it says that Noah believed God and he obeyed. And it says that Noah obeyed multiple times. Now, it would have been a temptation not to believe, not to obey. There was no flood occurring at the time, uh, but, but Noah chose to believe God and trust him. And this was a big project that took many, many years. Maybe you have seen, uh, like, I think, I think it's um, Evan Almighty where they build an ark and it's, it's pretty quick. I don't think it takes all that long. Well, Noah's ark probably took between 55 to 75 years to build. They didn't have all the modern equipment we have. And it was roughly 450 feet long, 75 feet tall, and 45 feet wide. See, Noah was changed one plank at a time. Noah was changed one day at a time. Noah was changed one coat of tar at a time, one coat of pitch. God had a a long-term perspective in view, that God was going to change Noah by his grace over the course of his life. By the end of it, Noah was a changed man. He walked with God. He trusted God. He knew God. The only other time in the book of Genesis that it really talks about someone walking with God, we discussed a few weeks ago. That was Enoch. Actually, that was just last week. That was the story of Enoch who walked with God and then was taken up. So we should take encouragement from this in our own lives. Kind of a practical application for you and me is that no matter what we're going through, try to take a long-term perspective. That God is producing lasting change in our lives one day at a time. One plank at a time. One moment at a time. God uses hard circumstances. He uses good circumstances to make us trust him, to to call us into a relationship with him. Noah's Ark is a story of God's grace. It's a story of judgment, but it's a story of grace for us. Grace is receiving a gift that we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting a punishment we deserve. Grace is receiving a gift that we don't deserve. And so what is that gift that we receive? Chapter 7, verse 1, actually defines for us, or it shows us what the grace is that Noah received. It's righteousness. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. 
God is saying, I am declaring, Noah, that you are a righteous man. In the midst of this wicked generation of people that have turned from me, I am looking upon you and I am finding goodness. I am declaring you good even though you're wicked. If we look at Hebrews 11 verse 7, we see how God can do this. Hebrews 11:7 says, By faith, Noah, when warned about these things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is keeping with faith. See, God declared Noah righteous, holy, good, because Noah believed. Noah trusted. It wasn't that Noah went out and earned his salvation, did all these good things, and, and kind of merited God's favor. Instead, Noah had faith, and God granted Noah righteousness, holiness. See, we're declared righteous when we have faith in God as well. We have faith specifically in the person of Christ Jesus and what he has done on our behalf. This means that even though we go through times where we experience kind of the, the, the wickedness that we're born into, the, the misery, the brokenness, the disaster of our own human hearts, through God, through Jesus, God can look at us and say, well, here's someone who's whole, who's complete, because when I'm looking at them, I'm not seeing all the ways that they've messed up. I am seeing the goodness of Christ Jesus. I am seeing his holiness, his perfection. No matter what you're going through, no matter what sins you have committed in Jesus, you're righteous, you're holy. This is God's grace. Noah's Ark is a story of God's judgment and grace, and that's our story. Verse, verses 11 through 7 also tell us something about us and how we go through judgment, how we go through times of trial and hardship. It tells us that God preserves the righteous in the midst of judgment. See, he promises one day to come and, and to really wipe the, the, the slate clean once more, all of creation. But he promises that any that have faith in Jesus, any that trust God, they will be preserved. Verses 11 through 17, there's, there's one verse that I want you to focus on. It's verse 16. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing. As God had commanded Noah, then the Lord shut him in. It's interesting. Noah builds this big ark, and I don't know if he just didn't build a contraption to shut the door, but God is the one who shuts the, the door of the ark. That's so interesting that God is really the one who, who is saving Noah and his family. He's the one who's preserving them. It's not Noah. It's God. There's four applications, there's four ways that we can apply this to our lives kind of as a church, but then also individually. Encouragement or application number one is that at the end of time when Christ returns, God will pull all of his own, you and me, who trust in Jesus into safety. This is what the whole book of Revelation is. It's, a, it's an exodus of God's people into a new heaven and a new earth. It's really, it's God pulling his own into safety and shutting the door. Application or encouragement number two is that we can trust that God's church will continue no matter the culture. So all around Noah, there was wickedness, there was idolatry, and it was probably about the same that it is today. 
And yet God preserved his people in the midst of this time. Now, this isn't a guarantee that Cornerstone Congregational Church will survive until the end of time. That's not a guarantee at all. But it is a promise that God's church, his global church, believers, gathered together to worship God, that this will continue no matter what. Application number three is that no matter what you're going through, God can act as your refuge. God can pull you into his safety. This doesn't mean that your life circumstances will suddenly get better, but it does mean that you can handle them better if you find your confidence and your hope in God. And application number four is one that's a little closer to my heart. It's that we, that we are to share the message of salvation with those who don't yet believe. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it, it calls Noah this. It calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. Noah is called a preacher of righteousness. Now, we usually think about Noah as a shipbuilder. We don't usually think about him as someone who went out and told others about the coming judgment and that they could be saved. But this is what he did. He was a preacher of righteousness. He warned others that the flood was coming. And I think we're to go out and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others in the same way. Now, I want to pause and talk a little bit about church architecture. Since we're talking about boats, I thought this actually related pretty well. This is a pretty normal photo of a church you might find somewhere across the U.S., whether that's in New England or maybe out west. And did you know that many churches are designed to look like Noah's Ark. If you look at the ceiling, the, the, the roof of this church, what does it look like? It looks like the underside of a boat. It looks like the belly of a boat flipped upside down. There's some theology in that. There's some truths in that. It, it, it's, it's sending this message that we as the church are the Ark, that we're a safe place, that we're rescued, that God loves us, that God has chosen us. But it also sends another message that outside the world is drowning. And we're inside, we're safe, but we're going to let them drown. That's not a message that we want to be living here at Cornerstone. I, mean, I don't think that's the message of Christianity. We, can, we could think of ourselves as an ark, but I think a better way to think about ourselves as a church is to think of a lifeboat. God has sent us out to rescue those that are drowning, that need God. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He tried to rescue others. None of them responded. But it was God who shut the door, not Noah. How often do we shut the door on the people around us? Whether we look at our coworkers, our neighbors, our family members, and we say, well, that person could never believe in God. That person could never be saved. That's not our job. Our job is to be a preacher of righteousness. And that doesn't mean that on Monday morning you're going to show up and just start preaching in their office, bring a box if you want to stand on something. Not that at all. But we are to be taking personal steps, praying for them, asking God for opportunities to share the good news about Jesus, to invite them to a service, to, to pray for them. We're not to be the ones that shut the door. That's God's job, not ours. We have an opportunity that you can take advantage of uh, for inviting people to 
a kind of a cornerstone outreach event. Hopefully when you were walking in, you received the Parents' Night Out card. That's really not for us, but it's for your friends, coworkers, you know, that maybe have children. I believe it's K through five, uh, and you can give them that card as a gift and say, hey, here's a date night for you and your spouse. Come leave your kids at Cornerstone at a safe place. We'll watch them. We'll take care of them for a couple hours. You go out and have a wonderful date night. Now, that doesn't get the people inside our worship service, but it gets them to the building, and that's one of the steps of making them feel comfortable with Cornerstone and inviting them here. I handed out one to one of the guys at my gym this week, and he thanked me like multiple times. He was so glad to receive it. This is a gift. We're giving people like a date night. I don't know if he'll come, but it's a wonderful opportunity. Noah's Ark is a story of God's judgment and grace, and that's our story. We want to be sharing the grace with others. We want to be warning others as well that sin is a real issue, it's a real problem, and that one day God will come and judge the world. I watched a YouTube video of the 2004 tsunami in Thailand, and there was this interesting video of people on the beach, and they were filming this incoming wave. And one of the people asked, well, what is that? Like, they were all like, what is that? That's this big wave, and they were all confused. And a lady said, well, maybe the earthquake caused that. And her friend right next to her said, nah. And then the wave kept getting closer and closer, and they started yelling at the people on the beach, get off the beach. A a tsunami is coming, a wave is coming, and people weren't getting off the beach. In fact, one person was sitting on the beach all the way until the wave washed over him. It's our job to say, God's judgment is coming. This is a real issue. Get off of the beach. Now, God's going to work in people's lives. He's going to work in their hearts. It's up to him. It's not up to us. It's our job to be preachers of righteousness. And we have good news for them. We have news that we believe not only in a God who judges, but also who cares for the broken, who cares for the hurting. God remembers the broken. Verse Chapter 8, verse 1 says, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now, we don't believe in a God who forgets anything. Instead, this is telling us something else. It's telling us that God suddenly poured out grace upon Noah in a special way, that he, that he was paying attention to him and his needs in his context, and he acted for him. See, we believe in a God who will act for us. Now, remember the original audience that the book of Genesis would have been received by. So the author is a man named Moses, and he was writing uh, probably during the time of Mount Sinai. So the the nation of Israel, they left Egypt, they went to Mount Sinai, they got the law, uh, and then they went to the promised land, but then they weren't allowed to enter the promised land because they didn't have faith, they didn't trust God. And so they were condemned to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, remember, the story of Noah talked about it raining for 40 nights. I think there's a little bit of a parallel here between the story of Noah, the judgment that the earth experienced, and the judgment that the nation of Israel experienced wandering for 40 years. See, they would have been incredibly encouraged by the story of Noah. Because they would have heard, they would have heard this, that God hadn't forgotten them. As they were wandering in the wilderness for these years and years and years, God still cared about them. 
And God still cares about us, no matter what we're going through in our circumstances. God says to Noah in his judgment, God says to the Israelites in theirs, and God says to us as we experience consequences and hardship that I remember you. That should be encouraging to you and to me. God remembers the broken. Noah's Ark is a story of God's judgment and grace, and that's our story. And there's another, there's two more things that I want us to look about, but this, this last one, the second to last one, is that God gives fresh beginnings. So we're looking at the very end of the story of Noah and the flood, verses 15 through 17 of chapter 8. God calls Noah and his family out of the ark into a new beginning. And he says, be fruitful, increase in number. Remember the last time we heard that? It was Genesis chapter 1, where God said to the very first people, Adam and Eve, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. God is giving a second beginning to Noah, to all people. Now, Noah is what we would call a second Adam. That means he's kind of like a second beginning to the the big story of all of time, that God kind of gives Noah a second chance to make things right. And as the video pointed out, Noah was a wicked man. After the flood, he still committed sin. He got plastered. He got drunk. And he did some bad things. He failed as the second Adam. But God was still giving him a new beginning. There's a simple truth here that God might rebuke us. He might judge us as we go through our lives. But he gives us new beginnings every day. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That as we remember we're forgiven in Christ, we don't have to, to lash ourselves. Because by God's grace, there's always a new beginning. But Noah didn't win a new beginning for us. He didn't fix what Adam broke. The problem of wickedness, of evil, isn't isn't solved through Noah. We need another Adam. We need a better Noah who will come along and finish the story. And this leads us to our last point, that God promises peace. So this is the story of the rainbow. And I believe the story of God's covenant promise. So covenant really just means God is making a promise between himself and Noah and the people that he will never flood the earth again. God is promising peace in that way, but I also think he's promising eternal peace, that a final and lasting peace will come. And we see this in the story of the rainbow. Now, God sets a rainbow in the sky that he'll, as a promise that he'll never flood the earth again. And in the ancient cultures, the rainbow was really a symbol of, of a bow, so like a war bow. So here we have a giant symbol of war in the sky. Now, why would God put a symbol of war in the sky to remind us of peace? Well, before, when the flood came, God was pointing the bow at us, at all human beings. We perished because we sinned against God, and God made war against humans. And as the, the picture at the beginning so clearly illustrated, we died because of it. But now the war bow is pointing a different direction. It's no longer pointing at us. There's, a, there's a, a children's book that we give out to all new kids that come uh, to Cornerstone. So each of your families should have one of these books. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it actually does a really good job of explaining the rainbow. Not all no- books with Noah in them are bad. And the first thing God did was make another promise. He says, I won't ever destroy the world again. 
And like a warrior who puts away his bow and arrow at the end of a great battle, God said, See, I have hung up my bow in the clouds. And there in the clouds, just where the storm meets the sun, was a beautiful bow made out of light. And it was a new beginning in God's world. It wasn't long before everything went wrong again, but God wasn't surprised. He knew this would happen. That's why before the beginning of time, he had another plan, a better plan, a plan not to destroy the world, but to rescue it, a plan to one day send his own son, the rescuer. God's strong anger against hate and sadness and death would come down once more, but not on his people or his world. No, God's war bow was not pointing down at his people. It was pointing up into the heart of heaven. So you get the point that before in Noah's flood, the the war bow was pointed at us, at our hearts, at our wickedness, at our calamity. But suddenly God reverses that and he points the war bow up towards heaven telling us that one day God will come and he will give us peace by by declaring war on himself. See, God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to receive the arrow through the heart so that you and I don't have to be judged by God. Christ Jesus is judged on our behalf. And the good news is that if you trust in Jesus, you get a brand new heart. You get the heart of Christ inside of you so that no longer does, does, does your heart have to be stained by wickedness and sin. In God's eyes, you have a wonderful brand new heart. You'll still struggle with sin and wickedness in this life, but in God's book, in, in God's eyes, the eyes that really matter, you'll be perfect. You'll be holy and clean. And then you'll be able to live out this life in a new way, seeking to trust Jesus. Noah's Ark is a story of God's judgment and grace, and that's our story. There's a couple applications here that are real simple. When you're tempted to point the war bow at others, when others hurt you, remember that God points his war bow at himself. He points it at his own son. He's extending grace. And remember that when your story... All of our stories are different, but when you feel like God is judging you, that he's rebuking you, that God also loves you, and that he extends grace to you and to me, no matter our circumstances, because he loves us. Noah's Ark is a story of God's judgment and grace, and that's our story. I want to end by showing you one more engraving uh, by Gustav Dorr, and this is another picture of, of loosely of an ark. It's a story of Christ, the cross. It's called the crucifixion of Jesus. It's a picture of a vessel that came and bore our sins in itself and rescues us. Christ Jesus bore our sins in his body so that we could live. He is our rescuer. He is our ark. Jesus is our lifeboat. He rescues us from drowning and he gives us new life. Noah's Ark is a story of God's judgment and grace, and that's our story. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to look at your word, to look at the story of Noah. It's a big story, and it has a lot of truths, and it has a lot of uh, things to teach us, but mostly it points to Christ and our need for him. Lord, we love you. Help us receive this truth. Help us walk anew. Would you bless this offering? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.